Good morning. Good morning. Let us open up to. Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you yet. Because <laughs> I want to tell you something first. <laughs> um, because this was a tough subject. Because the men will tell you that we had a great time with our brother. And um, people who, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe some of the brothers who get up here and do this don't worry about it. But I always worry about it a few weeks before, a month before. Somebody gets up here and all of a sudden, you know, you're in uh, Matthew 16 and Matthew 20 or whatever. And they say, open up to Matthew 20. And you're thinking, oh, man, they're preaching my word this week. Well, that's what our brother did. <laughs> so he went to um, Acts 16, and um, and I've been meditating on that for a long time. And, and I actually told him, I said, well, brother, he took my message. He said, no way, go for it. And then he told me another time, go for it. And then he told me a third time. So I said, Lord, I'm going to take it from you. So Acts 16. And I pray that the Lord would just bless us. Acts Chapter 16. You know, you think about um, this section, and it's, if you haven't read it in a while, the men, we went through it. But like our brother mentioned in one of his messages, there's nothing like repetition. And if you read the scriptures, really, it's all about repetition. The same thing over and over and over. The Lord is saying the same thing. And he did that to the Israelites. Same thing over and over. Please obey, obey, obey. And they would fall and fall and fall. And he would send a little bit of tribulation. And then they would get it back together. And then they would fall again. So it was the same message over and over. So I know I need the same message over and over. you know, Because I'm just like them. And I pray that this blesses us. But let's read this portion of Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown in prison and the jailer was commanded 
to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in, in, in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the name of of the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. May God bless this incredible scripture. May we pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you visit your children. The fact that you care for us. The fact that you give us illustrations like this from real men in real situations, under real trials, under real travesties. And challenges to show us something, Lord, to teach us something, Lord. And we praise you, Lord, that we can spend this time, Lord. And we just ask that you would be in this room with us, that you would speak through this lowly speaker here, Lord, and get across a message that would touch lives, Lord, and encourage us to go further with our Savior. And we pray also, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that has never asked that question, what must I do to get saved? That we have the same answer that our brother had. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So, great story. You know, when we think about it, I had a title for this message because it's really important. When our brother, he touched me a lot because he dealt with something that was, I think, something that we should all deal with, all of us, is has to do with application. Application. What does application mean? To apply. We have so many scripture references. We have so much truth in the Bible. We come to so many meetings and we hear so many good things, don't we, about the word of God and who God is and what he's asking us to do. And you hear it over and over and over. And you know what can happen? 
we can hear and hear and hear it. But really, doesn't it boil down to one thing? Application. That we apply it. Like you think about the jailer. You know, he, he was touched. And he says, what must I do to get saved? That's a good question. And then he was told the answer. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He applied it. And what happened? His whole family got saved because they applied it to application. So let's think about application as we're listening to this, these words and think about how can I apply this in my life? And each of us is a, a, a different life. But what I can say about everybody in this room is everybody in this room is dealing with some kind of trial or problem or storm or difficulty or challenge. And I heard one writer say that we all face them. We're either in a storm right now or we're coming out of a storm or we're heading into a storm. And think about that. Everybody in this room is in the same, we're in the same ball park. We're in the same game. We're all here. We're all in the same world that is influenced by troubles and difficulties and challenges. And either we're in a trial right now, right this moment, or we're coming out of one. And we're like, wow. Or I hate to tell you, the ship is kind of meandering through the ocean and everything looks great. But guess what? Right around the horizon, there's a storm. It's coming. All of us are together. I'm with, we're all in the same boat. So let's think about this. Now, when we look at one of the most wonderful verses in Scripture, which is Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28 says, For what? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'm going to read it again. I know you know it, but I want you to think about application today. Let's think about application. Do we apply that verse? Listen to it again. I'm in a storm right now. I'm in a trial right now. I'm in a difficulty right now. I'm going to say it again. For we know that in all things God works for the good. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. In a storm, God? You work things out for the good? Well, just bear with me. Just think about that now for a moment. If I'm in a storm right now, God's word says that he works all things for the good of those who love him. You in a storm? Let's think about it. Isn't this a great passage on a storm? Can you think of a bigger storm than this? We're going to go back there and we're going to hang out with Paul and Silas. And we're going to stand on those cobblestone streets or whatever kind of streets they were. And let's just kind of look Paul and Silas face to face. It's like, brother, let's look at him face to face because he is giving us something that he wants us to understand. The word of God is telling us something. So let's go back and look. And it begins with Paul's interaction with a demon possessed girl who was able to predict the future. And verse 18 says that finally Paul got irritated with her. He says enough is enough. He got filled. This is enough. Enough. Enough is enough. 
And he did what? What did he do? Cast out the demon. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And guess what? He came out of her. And you know what happened that day? That's one of those things that it shows that the demon left her and her troubles really, for the most part, ended. At that moment, guess what? Her troubles ended. Because if you read back through the portion, it says that, that she had made a great deal of money. But it doesn't say for her. It says for her owners. So she's out there predicting the future, being held captive by a demon who's manipulating her and doing all kinds of things and letting her do all these things. And you have these guys who basically you can call them, uh, what? They're looking for a, a quick rich scheme. You know, how to get rich quick. You know, you go out and predict the future. You go out and do this and give me the money. So what happened? When Paul said enough is enough, what did he do? He said out. But guess what happened? Her troubles ended. Because the demon was not, no longer had a hold on her. But what happened also? Paul and Silas had just started. Their troubles just began. Because if you go on further... What is verse 19? It starts off, it says, When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hopes of making money were gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and throwing our city into an uproar. And they said the crowd joined in and attacked Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And they were severely flogged and thrown into prison. I know they, the title of this message is a God-centered focus. And I want you to really think about that. Because if we don't have a God-centered focus, guess what? When the trial comes, we're in trouble. A God-centered focus. What are we focused on? Well, let me tell you something. We see what Paul was focused on. And you see what he didn't do. Because at that moment, let's look at it. This is a real story. This is something that if it happened to our neighbor or brother or sister down the street, we'd be in agony. Because they took him and Silas. And they took him out in the streets and they stripped him butt naked. They took his clothes off. And it says that the crowd joined in and they beat him. They beat them. And they beat them and they beat them and they beat them. And it says they were severely flogged. Severely flogged. Not just a couple little stripes. Not just a couple of little hits and bruises. I believe they were bloodied. They were bloodied. And I bet they enjoyed it when they were hitting them. You're causing confusion. You're ruining our, our job. You're taking away our economics, our good life. 
Let's beat these men. And we don't really like your message anyway. It's too encouraging. So they beat them and beat them. And you know what could have happened? If they didn't have a God-centered focus, guess what they could have said? They could have mocked God at that moment. They said, God, where are you? What are you doing? I just, I, just, I just saved this woman from a demon. I've been preaching the gospel. I've been sharing your word with people. I've been loving you. I put my life on the line for you. And you let them beat me and, 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 and brutalize me like this? Paul didn't do that. He didn't kick. He didn't scream. He didn't ask why me. He didn't ask for a lawyer to come and speak on his behalf. What did he do? Let me tell you what he did. He applied the word of God. And you know the word of God that he applied? That I want to share a verse. It's two verses, three verses really. He applied this wonderful word of God that is in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. It says, rejoice always. God-centered focus. Only way we can rejoice always. The only way we can rejoice always. The only way in a trial, in a storm, in a difficulty, in a challenge. When we're immersed in it. Only one way. A God-centered focus. Focusing on God and not on us. Focus on God's will and God's power and not on us. And it says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. What do you mean, God? In everything. God-centered. My focus is on you, Lord, so I can say thank you. Otherwise, it's impossible. How could he say thank you in this situation? And we're going to touch that. And then it says, and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will that you do this. Let's look at Paul's application of that. And the first thing is rejoice always. It's the first application. Did he? Do you know he penned that too? Paul wrote that verse. The Spirit of God had indwelled this man and blessed this man and gave him those words. But didn't just give him those words to speak and to write and pen. But to live. He lived them. He applied them. And let's look at the application. Read verse 25. Verse 25 of Acts 16. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Oh, battered. He's in shackles now, right? Let's get the picture now. He's not in the penthouse. He's not in the penthouse. He's not in a comfortable place with a TV and a DVD 
and Game Boys and food. Beautiful banquet of food. No, he's with some rats probably and some dirty old criminals. And he's shackled. And it says that he sang hymns to God. Do we sing hymns to God? In the pit? In the trial? We can. Rejoice always. Always. You ever think about what was going on? What he was singing? I thought about it. Paul and Silas had a jailhouse concert. Wasn't it? He said he was singing hymns to God. Picture it, please. He's bloodied. He doesn't have a suit on. He's not on stage. He's not in a comfortable place. He's in a jail shackled. They're both shackled. Bleeding. Uncomfortable. And it says at midnight, which means it was the same day. Right? It's not like he healed. He wasn't healed at that point. He was hurting. Singing hymns to God. What songs did he sing, though? What was the songs? I was thinking. I went and looked at some verses and, and, and thought about it. And, and you go back to um, you know, Exodus and you see that the song of Moses and Miriam after they crossed the Red Sea. They had a song and they sang the song and they you know, did their thing and the people sang. And we crossed and Lord, you're great. Oh, I love our Lord, everything. And they, they sang and it was wonderful. He knew about that song, too. He'd heard that song because he was familiar with the Old Testament. He was familiar with it. He studied the Old Testament. And then what does it say? In Judges, it talked about Deborah and Barak, a duet. They sang, too. And what did they sing? They praised the Lord and recalled the Lord's triumphant march toward the promised land. Sang really good. But I want you to think about a song I really believe he sang. And that's back in 2 Samuel. And let's go there. 2 Samuel 21. Because we're going to move fast. 2 Samuel 22. David's song of praise. I believe that Paul and Silas had read this song read this song, studied this song, meditated on this song, knew the rhythm of this song, knew the verses of this song. He had it in his heart because he was a Bible-studying, loving God, man of God that had a God-centered focus. And his focus was on God. And he immersed the Scriptures in him. He filled himself with the Scriptures. He filled himself with the songs of praise and adoration to a God who rescued him. And saved his life. And he knew the song. So when he was sitting there singing a song, he knew words of, of praise. And when he sang a song, he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. And he sang it with a great, great power and prowess in the jail. A jailhouse concert. 
two men loving God, centered on God, loving him so much and knowing the words. And he says, he's my rock in whom I take refuge. He sang it. He sang it. And then it says, he is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. He says, you're my savior, Lord. You're my savior. I'm here in the pit, in the cell. They beat me for no reason. But I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You're my redeemer. I can count on you, Lord. And they had a melody. And it was sweet to God. It was refreshing to the ear of God. And they went on to say, the waves of death swirled about me. me. Weren't the waves of death swirling about him? He was almost dead. They beat him so bad, he almost died, I believe. But it says that he sang. And it also says, verse 4, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. He sang it. He's singing it. Lord, I'm singing to you. Lord, Lord. And then down in verse 7, it says, From the temple, or in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. Can we say that this morning? I'm in a trial right now. I'm in a trial right now. And I believe you, Lord, when you say rejoice always. I'm rejoicing my trial, and I'm calling out to you because you are my God. You are my God. You died on the cross for my sins. You are my God. Can we say that this morning? Can we rejoice and apply the word of God like Paul and say, I sing to you, my Jesus. I sing to you from the pit, from these chains. I don't need these chains removed to praise you. I don't need these stripes to come off my back. I don't need to be healed of the trial. I have a God-centered focus. I'm focused on you, not on me. And Paul sang, and he sang, and he sang, and it says, verse 8, the earth trembled and quaked. And when he sang that verse, I believe it happened. When he sang that verse, I believe it quaked at that moment. And the chains fell off. God said, that's my son. Those are my boys. Those are my children rejoicing in their sin and in their suffering and their trial, rejoicing and still loving me and still showing their faithfulness to me. Let me show them that I'm real. And the chains broke because he rejoiced. He rejoiced. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because... You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Do you know that God does not want us to lack one thing? And if it takes a trial, do you want a trial? Can you say right now, can we really say that to God? If a trial is needed for me to not lack anything, to be in right relationship with you, to be in your will, to be able to be used by you where I can have a God-centered life... Is it okay? Lord, please, can you bring the trial? Are we, can we say that? I believe Paul said it. Bring the trial. And let's go to the next verse because we need to move. 
Next part of that verse says pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You know what's real interesting? I believe praying without ceasing has to do with mastering the art of prayer. And we don't master the art of prayer in the, in the trial. Because if that's mastering the art of prayer, we've missed it, I think. I had to think about this. I'm reading the scriptures thinking, what's up with this? Why does it say in, let's see, verse 13 of chapter 16 of Acts, that on the Sabbath he went outside the city gate to the river and it said to find a place of prayer. This is before the trial. He went looking for a place of prayer. He prayed. He mastered prayer before the trial. He was committed to prayer before the difficulty. He didn't pray when the difficulty came and say, well, Lord, I haven't talked to you in a while. We haven't spoke this week because everything has been real smooth. But, you know, I'm now suffering. Can you help me? No, it says that he went to find a place of prayer. Then if you go down to verse 16, what does it say? It says, once we, when we were going to a place of prayer. Two times it says in that chapter that he was going to a place of prayer. He was looking for a place to pray. He was committed to praying. So when it says pray without ceasing, Paul's qualified. He applied that. I pray without ceasing. I don't wait for the trial. And we see that in that verse that it says when they were hurting in verse uh, 25, it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were praying, Lord, you know, you're our God. I'm in the pit. I'm in difficulty. They were praying to him saying, I know you're a faithful God. I know you love me. I know you care for me. You rescued me. You rescued me. You're not going to leave me here. But if you do leave me here, it's okay. If that is your will. So they were praying and praying and praying. And you know, I, um, I kind of think about that. You know, when we think about prayer and how we really deal with our talking to our Lord, how important that is. And, you know, I was with the kids a couple days ago, and it was kind of a, an odd time, but we had three girls on Friday night in the car with me doing, you know, the youth night, and it was, you know, three girls in the back seat. Hello. Young girls. They were, you know, yeah, 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 jacking away. And I'm, I'm just driving around, and it's like, okay. And then they did something that was really interesting. They said, let's play a game. I said, okay, no problem. You want to play a game? Let's say, let's see who's going to be the first one to start, start speaking. Let's be silent. I said, praise God. That was the game. The first one that speaks loses. I'm thinking, oh, God, heaven has come down and is in my car right now. So they just, they're sitting there and I turn. I'm listening to, you know, actually I'm listening to Carl Knott. I put it back on. I'm thinking... I'm driving with three girls in the back seat. They're saying zip. And they're looking at each other and they're kind of doing faces. And I said, faces? Cool. I can deal with that. Isn't that amazing? 
I'm thinking prayer, man. I didn't pray for that. I can't take credit for that. But I will next time. And maybe you can too if you have the same. Because that's a good game. And you know what? They, they, kept, uh, they kept quiet for a while. And it was, you know, it was cute. It was cute. But does God want us to be silent like that? Does God want us to just, I don't want to talk to you, Lord. Zip it. Does God want that? No, he doesn't want that. That's good as a game for the kids. It's fun. But with God, it's not, it's not fun. We should talk to him all the time. We should speak to him all day. Lord, help me. Lord, show me. Lord, lead me. Lord, touch me. Lord, lift me. Lord, bless me. Lord, show me. If we really want a God-centered life to be centered in his will, we say, Lord, whatever your will is for me, all day long, we can talk to him. Isn't that great? We have a God we can talk to all day long. He never tells us to go through the silent game. He never tells us, you're talking too much. He doesn't say it. I'm telling you, he loves us so much, he doesn't say it. He says, keep talking because I love you. I want to hear from you. I want to talk to you. Next part of the verse, the section of verses says, in everything give thanks. Hmm. We think about that and we think, are we a thankful Christian? I'll read you a little story. It's supposed to be, it's, uh, it says the great text of the Bible. It says, James Hastings relates the story of Captain Alan Gardner, who was with three other men and gone to Tierra del Fuego to preach the gospel. When winter was over, another ship touched the bleak shores and found the remains of all at the entrance of the cave. All three, the remains of them. They had died of hunger. Gardner being the last Here were devout men filled with the desire to make known the love of Jesus to the miserable Fuegans, and they starved to death. But Gardner's faith never failed him. It says, at the entrance of the cave, he promised, he painted these words, my soul trusts still upon God. His date book contained his last words. He was writing some notes. As he was dying. Now think about this. As he was dying, he was writing some notes. He says, I know now, or I know not how to thank God for his marvelous loving kindness. He says, I know not how to thank him for his marvelous loving kindness. How do you show thankfulness when you're dying? He had a God-centered focus. He said, I know that my God loves me. And his kindness, I'm thankful for that. Are we thankful? You look alive to me. Everybody here looks really good. You actually look really handsome and cute, some of you. (laughs) My wife, actually. (laughs) But uh, that's, uh, that's another subject there. But thankful. Are we thankful? We have a lot to be thankful for. 
God wants us to be thankful. He said, I want you to be thankful, Christians. Not thankful because of your circumstances, but thankful for the fact that I'm in your circumstances with you, no matter what they are. And then in conclusion, we're going to talk about one last thing. It says, um, the last part of that section of verses where it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that's how we wrap it up. And there's a lot in that. What was God's will in this story? Think about that. What was God's will? God's will in a catastrophe. What was God's will? Why does it say that the other prisoners were listening to them? What was God's will? I believe God's will was that Paul and Silas would be true men of God with an incredible testimony because he knew men were watching them. He knew those men's hearts. He knew those men's desires. He knew those men were in need of a Savior. He knew they weren't just chained with material chains, but they were chained by sin. He knew that. And he says that they were listening to him. Do you know that people are listening to us? Do you know that people watch us all time, all the time? Do you know that they check us out all the time as Christians? Do you know that they pay attention to us all the time? Not just when everything is great, but especially when there's a trial. How are you handling that trial, Mr. Brad? You talk this Christianity stuff. You love your Lord and your Lord's a good Lord. He comes through and you can count on him and he's great and he can be counted on. And he's a wonderful God. But how are you dealing with this issue, this trial right now? And they watch us and they want to mock our God. They want us to fail. But God doesn't send the trial to make us fail. He doesn't send the trial to make us fail. He sends the trial to do something in our lives. And a lot of times in somebody else's life. And if you look at these verses, it says everybody's chains came off. What does that mean to you? Well, I can see the criminals in there. Who were they? Big Bubba? I don't know. The slasher. I don't know who they were. But they were people who were bad people. They were bad people chained because I believe Paul and Silas, they didn't do anything wrong except they, they didn't allow them to take advantage of a woman. And they did something righteous and they were in chains. They had righteous chains on them. But the other criminals did not have righteous chains on them. I believe that they were criminals like the criminal on the cross. But I tell you something happened that day. Something transpired that no one anticipated. Men of God walked in the scene with lives that were just so phenomenally geared to praising our Lord under circumstances that were so dire that they took notice. They said, how can you praise a God that you don't see in your condition? How can you love somebody that's not here? How can you love somebody in shackles? 
How can you show so much happiness and praise something or a God and you're in pain and suffering? How can you rejoice the way you're rejoicing right now? They asked those questions. And what happened? They saw the chains fall off because I believe their heart was touched. And they were blessed by two men who were faithful to God. And then it says later that what happened was is that the, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword because he was about to kill himself. And you read a couple chapters before that, it actually mentions that they killed a jailer for letting the criminals loose. I think it was Peter. They killed him. Well, he was expecting to die. But Paul's love was so deep that he says, not about me. The chains are off, but it's not about me. My life is not about me. My center is not about me. My center is God-centered. I love my God, and I'm here to serve my God. So guess what? I'm here. We're here. We haven't gone anywhere. And then the greatest question that a person can ever ask came up. What must I do? Because he observed them. Believe me, he just didn't get touched because it was an earthquake. He didn't just have this foundation rattle because of an earthquake. The earth shaking and all of a sudden it shook him into wanting to get saved. That doesn't happen. Earthquakes don't save people. Lives save people because they see Christ in them. And they saw Christ in this man, these men. And all of a sudden he says, what must I do? To have what you have. What must I do to have these chains that are on me that you can't see? Because I'm chained right now in my sin. And I can tell I'm in my sin. I can tell that I am chained. Because when I go home, I don't have peace. And I don't have happiness. And I have a meal on the table. And I have a wife and kids. And they're not chained. I'm not in a jailhouse. I go home, but I don't have peace. I don't rejoice. I'm not thankful. And he saw thankfulness. He saw rejoicing. He saw compassion. He saw dedication. He saw faithfulness. He saw a man that was gripped by God and used by God to make him open his heart to Christ. And Christ was revealed through the testimony of these men. And that's what our opportunity is every day. Do we apply the word of God in our lives? Or we just drink it and drink it and drink it and drink it and it's like a bottle that has the bottom that's been taken off. And we drink the word of God and drink the word of God and just spills out. And we leave the place with an empty bottle. I was talking to Adam about, you know, mastering playing an instrument. It was just a good I think a good illustration, you know, he's in there teaching and he shows them what it means to master flute 101. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. And then they go home and they put it up on the shelf. And then they come back the next day and he has to start over and over again. And they put it on the shelf again and they put it on the shelf again. And then it comes back and a year later, they're like, they haven't mastered anything. Why? Because it keeps getting put on the shelf. God says, don't put it on the shelf. Apply this word in your lives and people will be changed. Apply this word in your lives and guess what? The world will be turned upside down. 
Apply this word in your life and mean it. It's not about us, is it? How much is it about me? A lot of times I'm telling you, it's about me. It is about me. And I have to tell the Lord, please forgive me, because it's not about me. Because you can't use me if it's about me. Lives aren't changed if it's about me. And I have to tell you, lives aren't changed if it's about you. What do we want? Do we want a life that really does make a difference? Let's be like Paul, Silas. Let's apply it in our lives. And if there's somebody here today that, like that jailer, says, what must I do to get saved? I'm going to tell you something. It's the same message. It's the same question. And it's the same answer. Just believe on the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you notice later in the chapter it says that he and his family had joy for the first time. He had joy. You want joy? You want to walk out of these rooms and go into your world and just live a life of joy? Have a joy. Have the joy of the Lord in your heart. Well, all you have to do is believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Same message, same result. Praise God for that. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. And we can't thank you enough for what you did in our lives. When you redeemed us, you broke the chains of sin. That held us captive. You released us from the prison. And you set us free. You didn't set us free, Lord, just to go out and just do our own thing. You didn't set us free to just be about us. You set us free that we would have a God-centered focus. That our focus in our lives would be about you. Help us, Lord. Help us to be used by you. Help the world to see something that's real. Help us to apply the truths that we gain from the scriptures. Help us to spend time in the word of God and study it, study it, and study it. And to pray and to pray and to pray. And to live lives that glorify our heavenly father. Because we love you. Help us to apply it, Lord, because that is your will. What is your will? Your will is that we apply it, Lord, in our lives. And that people see a change in us and are drawn to you as Savior, Lord. And we pray that if anyone here has never asked that question, Lord, or not responded by saying, Lord, I give you my life, that today they... Pull somebody aside and say, I want to get saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to have these chains broken, Lord. I want to be set free. We ask that you just bless our lives. 
and help us in Jesus' name. Amen.